Before the days of internet and in YouTube, you we was after ruin Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. And Jake would be the break the way he's playing with snakes. Enthusiast of highest taste was always trading some tapes. Dusty said it cold to let me know about hard times. And Randy be the cream and he was reaching for new highs. Flair was always going and Andre was so imposing. Doesn't matter if nobody can seem to beat Hulk Hogan. Turnbuckles and territories. We be stuck to screens in 1980s. And we can't feed them and made them believe. By the turnbuckles and territories. Turnbuckles and territories. Welcome back to Turnbuckles and Territories, the wrestling podcast for the Gen X grown up enthusiast. My name is George, and with me, as always, is Barry. What's going on, George? And you know that Captain Kiwi is here. Hey, how's it going, everybody? In this episode, the Intercontinental Championship has a long and storied history spanning over 40 years with a who's who list of professional wrestling superstars. Chief among them, Razor Ramon. In this episode, we will dig into the history of the belt and the three amazing title runs of the legend himself, Scott M. Effing Hall. The I bad wasn't guy. sure if the FCC was going to get me in trouble for <laughs> cursing, so uh, I should Don't worry about it, Chico. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Chico. <laughs> Guys, I love wrestling championships, and I love talking about titles and the wrestlers who held them, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I know a crap ton about the Intercontinental Championship. I know a little bit about where it started, who had it first, and I did watch some of the Razor Ramon, Scott Hall stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that you guys have a little bit more knowledge than I do, or it's going to be a really short podcast. <laughs> Don't worry, George. We're going to pick up your slack on that one. I got your back, brother. I definitely need it. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. The Intercontinental Championship, it is a storied belt, as I mm-hmm. said in the tease. It has got a long history. I think it may be more unique than even the WWF or WWE Heavyweight Championship, whatever you want to call it, World Championship, because I think it was the first one I ever saw or heard of that spanned outside of the United States. Everybody had a U.S. title right. or a localized Memphis or- Heavyweight TV championship, or TV like that. title, yeah. hardcore intercontinental. Title. Just kind of, it gave it this flair. Whenever I heard it, it was like, ooh, they they defend this thing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, I definitely think that it had some of the more unique people on it. Now, the thing about the IC title is it wasn't always the biggest guy, the strongest guy, the most popular guy. It wasn't anything like that. I, I dare say they originally designed it kind of as a mid-card title, but mm. that's what made it all the more fun. A stepping stone. No matter what, then, let's dive right into this episode really quick and start talking about the history of the Intercontinental title so that we can get to Mr. Razor Ramon Scott Hall himself right after <laughs> the break the bad guy the action and excitement of all pro wrestling returns to laredo the meanest big mac you ever saw goes up against gary the hog young teenage heartthrob chaz tangles with nuke a special apw tag team title match pits the champions the american breed against bubba monroe and the guy laredo learned to hate al too sweet jones the main event will be a bloody mexican death match as Tugbo Taylor meets Big Bob Butcher, plus two other matches of pro wrestling. Sponsored by Energy 98. Proceeds benefit the Gateway Lions Club. Barry, you already started off talking about the history of the IC title and what it really means and how it really got developed. The term intercontinental referred to the title originally being part of North and South America. I don't think WWF had a lot of shows in South America, but that's what they were 
kind of like envisioning that this title was supposed to represent? Well, I think they were trying to like really branch out and bring in a lot of performers from like Brazil, from, Mm. you know, Paraguay, Uruguay, those types of areas, because they do. That's a big wrestling environment down there. Is that why Coco Beware always had that damn parrot on his shoulder? He was from Union City, Tennessee, man. I know, but he had a parrot (laughs) thing on his shoulder that was from South America, that toucan or whatever the hell it was. Frankie. (laughs) Frankie. (laughs) That's right. Well, the championship was originally started or established in September of 1979. Mm -hmm. And the first champion was a guy who is legendary in wrestling circles, especially when it comes to WWF, Pat Patterson. Now, I am not the biggest fan of Pat Patterson. I didn't like his mic work. I didn't like his wrestling ring work. I felt like he was an overweight, out of shape, secondary version of Buddy Rogers. I never cared for Pat Patterson. But I think the thing that made Pat so unique, you mentioned Buddy Rogers. He was the WWF's version of Buddy Rogers. Well, that's what I mean. He was just a version of that guy. He wasn't as good. Well, but when you couldn't get the original, you come up with what you've got. Fair enough. Okay. And to his credit, Pat could do some good in-ring work. Okay. You know, wasn't the best on the mic, wasn't the best in promotions, but when you got him in the ring, he was a bruiser. Okay. So I'll give you that he was a bruiser. I guess I've always been a little bit more drawn to the the technical mat people, the mat technicians. (laughs) That's not Pat Patterson. That is not Pat Patterson at all. (laughs) And even though he was a bruiser, like an Ole Anderson or the Anderson brothers. That's right. what I was drawn to probably because I grew up with Southern wrestling as yeah. a background, but uh, you know, it, the intercontinental title to get back to it, it mm-hmm. is the third oldest in the WWE currently behind oh, the really? WWE championship and the U S title, which we talked about earlier, which wasn't really a WWE belt to start with. We all know it came from NWA and WCW. Yep. Right. Um, when they bought the organization, they took over the title and they have gone back and forth with these titles, merging them into one and discontinuing yeah. them and bringing them back. Well, and I think at one point in time, didn't they also have like a European title? They had the, they did. the intercontinental title. You European know, is so- one of my favorites. I'll give give WWE (laughs) a lot of respect on that end of it. At least they were trying to go outside of that norm and say, okay, if you're from here and you're competing against people from here, we're going to give you a title for here. Well, they did defend the uh, Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium. Oh, really? Yeah, they did. Now, that wasn't the first time they defended it outside of the U.S. The first time was uh, in Italy in 91. So about a year prior to that. Yeah, it was. Believe it or not, Rick Rude against the Ultimate Warrior in Italy. (laughs) Wow. You can imagine that being a crazy match because Rick Rude, hell of an in-ring competitor. Ultimate Warrior gassed out in his entrance. So... The Coke buzz wore off, I guess. I don't know. But he had some of the best promos. Those who are casual fans, <laughs> gassing out means you run out of breath. You run out of energy in the ring. And the ultimate warrior, like literally, he would run down the ring, shake the ropes real crazy. And then he would have to breathe heavy for four or five minutes before they would <laughs> ring the bell. You can always see it on an ultimate warrior match because the first couple, you know, t- what you're saying, the first couple of minutes is a lot of like collar and yellow tie ups, a right. lot of throw you into the ropes, exactly. just kind of slow things down a little bit. <laughs> let, him, let his heart rate let him breathe. get past the steroid jolt he just had in the background. <laughs> I mean, we're giving the guy shit and he's dead. That's a shit. Yeah, we're right, we're yeah, awful. Right. But There's an award no, named after him. <laughs> I mean, the IC title itself has been defended by a numerous list of competitors 
competitors. Oh, yeah. The whole point of this episode, though, is to talk specifically about one competitor, one champion, and that is Razor Scott Hall Ramon. And we need to get into his first intercontinental title run right after the break. AWA Championship Wrestling, Rod Sunspill at the Madison County Coliseum. This Friday night, April 24th at 8.30 p.m., there are five championship tag team matches. Come see the AWA's greatest tag team fight to the finish for the Mid-American Tag Team Championship. And save one dollar by buying your ringside tickets now at the Madison County Coliseum. Or call 837-3940. That's 837-3940. Well, back in uh, in '93, Shawn Michaels was getting a uh, his mid card push. And what's a push for those who are uninitiated? Uh, promotion. Uh, they are the ones that are the darlings. The darlings. They're the ones that are that are um, winning matches and are being booked to they're giving giving the most uh, the most airtime as far gotcha. for TV. It's a good way to put it. Unfortunately, uh, Shawn Michaels had a uh, a bit of a problem. Okay. <laughs> To say the least. What was his problem? <laughs> Only one? <laughs> well, according to uh, the storyline, he didn't complete his uh, or meet his contractual obligation of defending the uh, the championship within 30 days. However, behind the scenes, he had tested positive for steroids. <laughs> uh, yeah, because that never happens. And honestly, Michaels at that point was one of their biggest stars. He was one right. of the biggest names that they were pushing on this. So. Was he Heartbreak Kid at that point? I think he was, right? He was. He'd already thrown Marty Jannetty through the glass window. So, yes, okay. he, was our, he was our break kid. <laughs> but it kind of put the WWF in a bind as far as uh, what to do with their title. They ended up uh, deciding to have a, a battle royal, 20, uh, 20 competitors. A battle royale. It's not yes. battle royal. Battle royale. Say it like Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> they were throwing everybody over the over the top rope. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but this I, I I think I remember this, Aaron. Didn't this happen on Raw? It did actually. Um, yeah, which is very yeah. very unique. For that time. Yeah. You didn't see a lot of battle royales on <laughs> on Raw. They usually save those for pay-per-views. Right. right. Yeah. Because Raw is free. You get it on the USA Network, you know, as long as you have cable back then. And mm-hmm. pay-per-views were where WWE made a large chunk of their money outside of their advertising deals with USA Network. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. How did, I'm assuming, Razor Ramon, since that's who we're talking about, he ended up winning this battle royale to start his run. Who did he end up wrestling against? How did that go? Down. Well, um, the uh, the final two were the ones that were that would uh, compete for the uh, the championship. It was obviously Razor Ramon, and the other was oddly Rick the Model Martel. Oh, jeez! Wow. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Was he still in WWE at that time? He was. That guy's been that guy had been in WWE forever. <laughs> well, he kind of did that thing that the territory guys used to do. Right? He would be there for a while, then he would go away, then he would come back, and he always had these. I never. His gimmick was odd to me <laughs> the model the rick the model well that gimmick specifically but even just his affect when he was doing interviews and everything he uh, he just came <laughs> off as odd to me like there was no part of him he's i know canadian, he's, it's he fine. was french canadian yeah. and all but just weird poor guy 
<laughs> so it was Razor Ramon versus Rick the Model. Correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't they both heels at the time? They were. Ramon was, he's always been kind of like the anti-hero character, yeah. right? So he's a heel and he's a bad guy and they boo him, but they're all kind of cheering him. for him at yeah. the same time, right? I mean, arguably one of the greatest gimmicks of all time was Razor Ramon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hands down. He definitely channeled his inner Tony Montana on that one. <laughs> yeah. He embodied that character because like we were talking about in one of our previous episodes, Territory System, Scott mm-hmm. Hall had many different territory runs in different systems. He was basically just a big, strong guy, right? Right. And he did the thing where he was the anti-bullying guy for a little while. And he mm-hmm. did the thing where he would wrestle two guys at one time thing for a mm-hmm. while. Because compared to the other wrestlers, the jobbers, he was massive. He was oh, he was jacked. Foot- four, six foot five, something like that, 260 pounds. I mean, he was built, Mm -hmm. but Razor Ramon. Yeah. He came in with that leather white vest and the mm-hmm. slick back hair and the gold chain and the toothpick. I was about to say, they don't forget really the toothpick. Him yet. I've got to take him. It's part of his character. <laughs> and even the the way he changed his accent, because that's not how Scott Hall sounds no. in his natural no. voice. He right. has the deep, dark, baritone, almost bass voice, but not the Spanish accent that he would affect. And mm-hmm. God bless him. He was brilliant. with. Oh, yeah. It sold. It sold from the minute he started it. You know, he walked down that aisle, did the whole slick back on both sides of his hair, had the the the, the Superman curl in front of his face. It was brilliant. <laughs> the walk down the aisle to the ring, just top notch. At his own pace. Right. At yeah. his own pace. Nobody was very, speeding him up. Little very swagger. Slow. Mm-hmm. And he would always take that toothpick and throw it at his opponent. And then yep. he had another magical toothpick that he would throw at the camera. <laughs> it was brilliant. And he would wrestle with a third toothpick half the time. He was yeah. nuts. I mean, you know, I know I know guys can't carried razor blades in their tape for certain things and stuff. But this guy, <laughs> he took it to a whole new level with a toothpick. But <laughs> it was awesome. So he gets the win in this battle royale. <laughs> Which he's against the the model, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Shawn Michaels, who was suspended for 30 days for steroids. <laughs> how's he's the one that gets picked on in no, that whole group? No, he was suspended for not fulfilling his contractual <laughs> obligations. <laughs> I can't, that never, that will never not be funny. I'm sorry. No, no. That will never not be funny. <laughs> contractual obligations. Yeah, he had some contractual obligations not to do smack. That was his contractual <laughs> obligation. <laughs> Nice. Uh, So he comes back from this suspension and he has a legitimate in storyline claim to say, hey, I'm the rightful title holder. I never lost. You know, I never got beat. And we see that that thing has been done multiple times. But this first run of Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, setting that part up of the storyline. And we all know who are professional wrestling fans and for the uninitiated out there, those two guys are part of a very tight knit group of friends that later on become known as the click. But having those two guys work on matches behind the scenes together to form this storyline over a long period of time, I'm going to go ahead and and put the cow before the horse or whatever, whatever that phrase is. I'm not that Mm -hmm. redneck to know that phrase yet. (laughs) 
Um, he held this title for 198 days just in this first run. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, this is during a time period when usually titles got traded at pay-per-views were about every 30 to 45 days apart. Right. So right. he's holding this thing through like six months. Well, actually, a little longer. A little yeah, longer, a bit longer I mean, than that. I mean, is it the longest run of anybody that ever held the IC title? No, it's not. Um, I think that was like Honky Tonk Man. Had the longest right, run. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it definitely was one of the most entertaining runs to right. watch him. And even when they finally did have their match with Shawn Michaels and and Razor, the build up to it was beautiful. The match, hands down, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Well, let's talk a little bit about build up because that's so important when it comes to wrestling storylines. So if you're watching a movie, okay, mm-hmm. you have generally three acts. Act one, which teaches you all about the world, the environment, the characters. Act two, which sets up whatever it is that's going to cause the character strife or problems. And then act three, which is usually the resolution. Okay. If you're watching a TV show, you span those acts out over a particular number of episodes. Today, it's like eight to 10 episodes. Back in the day, it was 30 episodes of a regular TV program. In wrestling, you have to span that out over house shows and TV shows and promotions, promotions, stuff that happens in the magazines. And I think the two of these gentlemen, because this is during the cable network era, they built up this match with the best promos. Oh yeah. They had the best little swerve matches where, you know, one guy would come in during another guy's match and interfere with it. So beautiful. And I guess Michaels was a baby face at this point. Kind He's of, character kind, is of. kind of the smarmy baby face though, which is what made this so compelling because Razor Ramon is the anti-hero that you kind of root for, even though you're supposed to boo him and Michaels, you're supposed to cheer for him, but you kind of really don't like the guy. The proto Steve Austin. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like uh, in Scott Pilgrim versus the world, nega Steve Austin. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the, this was around the time, honestly, that the lines between faces and heels really got blurred, really just got blurred around as far as to really distinguish who was what and which one they actually wanted to go by. So you didn't really see as much of it, but that's actually what kind of made it good. It made it more realistic. It made it more, okay, I can relate to this guy because he doesn't personify everything good about the world. He's just as pissed off about what happened as I am. So he's not saying, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. And where have I heard that before? Um, <laughs> <laughs> through all of these matches and through all of the work that he did with Shawn Michaels, at some point, Razor Ramon Scott Hall loses this title. If I'm not mistaken, and, and help me out on this, because I know you you are like the Scott Hall fan. Uh, didn't he lose it to Diesel? He did. He did. It was uh, April of uh, 94. It's when he okay. lost it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. April of, so September of 93 to April of 94. <laughs> That's a ridiculous run. <laughs> that is a ridiculous run holding that title. Especially because that co-ops WrestleMania, right? Yeah, he it he does. wins a match at WrestleMania against Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 10, I think, because mm-hmm. it's 94, yes, right? Yes. Right. One of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah, that was, that was right uh, there. <laughs> like the crazy ladder match, right? 
Well, the thing is, there was actually two belts because Michael still had his belt. That was the right. thing. He never they gave up that belt. They were both intercontinental championships, they were, but, but they were they totally were different physical designs. belts. Yes. Yeah. And that was the thing is that they had it hanging from the top. It wasn't the first ladder match that they'd had, but it definitely was the ladder match. Right. And whoever took it down got both belts. And there's a very famous image of Razor standing up holding both of the belts, one in each mm. hand after he won that one. So he gets rid of the Michael storyline that way. He unifies the those two belts into one championship. But then eventually April comes around. It's time for us to move on, moves on to diesel, a third member of that group called the click, but razor Ramon's not done with this IC title. Yes. It's a mid card title. Yes. Razor Ramon is ready to move on to the next stage in his career, but razor Ramon, in my opinion, did something that nobody else had done before. And I'm including Shawn Michaels in this statement. Mm -hmm. I think razor Ramon elevated the intercontinental championship to a new height that has since been thought of as a more premier title over other titles like you mentioned earlier Aaron like the European title or some of these like the heavy hardcore championship and everything I see title is now because in my opinion of Razor Ramon considered to be a stepping stone to the WWE heavyweight championship one of the big reasons that Razor Ramon is in my opinion credited for that is because he didn't have just one run with this belt he had (laughs) another run that we're going to get into right after the break. Championship Wrestling Monday night with a full card lined up at regular prices, including a $3 general admission. You'll see J.D. Costello's triple challenge for $5,000 to be thrown to the crowd. An international kendo stick lumberjack match with Sato and Goto against Jared and Tanaka. You'll be seeing the international title against the Southern heavyweight title when Jerry Lawler meets Bam Bam Bigelow with the two titles at stake. Be there Monday night. So Razor had been going for a while back and forth with Sean and the rest of the clique on this. I mean, we talked about the first run on that. It was Mm -hmm. epic, hands down. The fact that Diesel was now holding the belt made it even more interesting because Razor and Sean had been going back and forth since 93. Sure. So they had a good history built up on this. However, things kind of went a little strange after that because Diesel was marketed as Shawn Michaels, quote unquote, bodyguard. And right. For those, yeah. For those yeah. of you who don't know who mm-hmm. Diesel is, he later showed up in WCW under his real name, Kevin Nash. Yeah. So just Big Daddy for those Cool. Of you, Big Daddy Cool. Absolutely. Well, we're not even... Are we, we're going to leave out fake Diesel and fake Ramon out yeah, of this we're not episode. Going there. We're not going there. That was so funny. They should have been Ooh, left out of yeah. history, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. But you're right. No, he, yeah. So that's Kevin Nash, who yeah. is part of that clique, those, that group of friends, right? Mm-hmm. Along with X-Pac, who we're not going to talk too much about in this episode, but still. Yeah. Sean well, I mean, he was, he was part of it. So he the was. story wasn't quite finished because they were still going on with this. And somehow, I struggled to remember how this actually came into being, but they worked it so that Razor was going to get another shot at the title at SummerSlam in 94. Okay. And uh, this time it was actually, it wasn't against Sean, it was against Diesel. But the whole 
whole the whole right. gimmick was that everyone knew that Diesel was going to bring Sean to the ring with him. So he was going to have that enforcer. Okay. Who does Razor Ramon bring to the ring with him at SummerSlam in 94, but NFL Hall of Famer Walter Sweetness Payton from the that's Chicago right. Bears. <laughs> I wonder, was SummerSlam in Chicago that year? Maybe that's why they had him there? I have to go back and look. I don't remember exactly why, but do, Who we, knows? Really, do we need a reason to have Walter Payton? I mean, he's well, one of I the mean, greatest running backs of all time. Not you know? if you're going to have, I mean, you can have Walter Payton if you're going to have to have Dennis Rodman in the WCW. Well, <laughs> Time frame, well, you know, and, and uh, Refrigerator Perry had already been at a uh, WrestleMania before then. So, right. You know, Carl I mean, Malone. Carl I mean, Malone. I mean, wrestling had- is known for bringing in these crazy cameo appearances. No question. Absolutely. And and they love to play off of larger athletes. So you saw a lot of like, give me a NFL and NBA players who came over into it. Yes. Yeah, so, SummerSlam 94 was held in Chicago. It was in ah, Chicago. Okay. Right. So See, there you go. That's why. So this is why it, we keep it's brilliant around. marketing strategy <laughs> on Vince McMahon's part, right? Because oh, yeah. the pride of Chicago, right? Oh, Walter the, Payton, the, the, you the put God his name on the bill. <laughs> the place is absolutely going to be packed out because we know that in WrestleMania's history, and this is something mm. we're going to talk about in a future episode, there have been super large crowds like the Pontiac Silverdome oh, right? yes. that have broken records. So every year that they put on one of these pay-per-view events, whether it's WrestleMania or SummerSlam or In Your House or whatever, we're going <laughs> to have to try and up the attendance because the larger the audience, the more noise, the better it is for TV and pay-per-view. Right. So why not bring in a quote-unquote a ringer, right? A cheap pop (laughs) person for the area to get the crowd going. Well, and this was right around the time that SummerSlam started to establish itself as one of what people in wrestling refer to as the big four. Okay. Because WWF was known for having four huge pay-per-views. This was their big push. They had a lot of smaller ones, but they had their big four, which if I'm not mistaken was WrestleMania, SummerSlam, King of the Ring, and Survivor Series. Those were their big four. WrestleMania, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. Royal Rumble. King of the Ring, excuse me. Yeah, King of the Ring was kind of a tertiary. Yes. But SummerSlam was like the highlight. That was end of summer. You know, it's August 29th. So it's just as everybody's getting ready to go back to school. So everyone was hyped up about this. So the match starts off. They go back and forth the entire time. And of course, Shawn Michaels gets involved. Walter Payton gets involved. You know, there's a lot of just some great spots in the match. But the one that I think is the most interesting, and this is this has been done a thousand times in other matches, but this is like the benchmark by all which it should be set to Razor, excuse me, Shawn Michaels goes to try to super kick Razor where he steps out of the way and ends up kicking Diesel square in the head Oh, to where Ramon rolls him up, gets the pin, regains his championship. But it's just the look on Shawn Michaels face when he sets that kick. And that's what led, you know, further down the road to the split between Shawn Michaels and Diesel. This was kind of the seeds for that to where Diesel started to break out as a solo not affiliated with Sean. So this impacted all kinds of different levels. Well, that's one thing that the click were really good about when it came to pitching their storylines to Vince McMahon and planning out stuff. They, there were things that were layers upon layers upon layers with their storylines and their matches. The most important part to recognize here is we're talking about Razor Ramon getting the Intercontinental title back. Yes. And he holds this title for another 146 (laughs) days. I mean, it's crazy. It's unheard of to think that this man got the runs that he did. And I think it's important not just to recognize how long these were, but you got to remember who else was in the WWE at that time 
time that were buying for this belt that they weren't giving it to yet because they knew that Razor was the guy. He well, was Razor's the one that was going to hold money. This. Yeah, that's right. the ultimate thing. He for was Vince the McMahon. guy. Whoever's the draw is going to get the belt. And he was doing that because I don't think you have a more charismatic superstar in WWF at the time than Razor Ramon. He is everything everybody wanted to watch. Women wanted to be with him. Men wanted mm-hmm. to be him. He was the ultimate wrestling aphrodisiac. I hate to say it that way, but that's what he was. I would say between him and Shawn Michaels, they were one and two. Well, so, some some of the men wanted to be with him too. Well, he, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's what puts <laughs> him above Shawn Michaels, well. I think. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's what really made this interesting was that these guys, not only did they know how to work well together, they know how to develop storylines so well. They knew how to do long-term booking so that they knew, you know, this is happening now, but two months, three months, five months down the road, this is where we're going to go back and acknowledge it, which is kind of what you saw with his first run. The first one was against Sean. The second one, he won it off of Diesel, Sean's bodyguard. So I think, too, another key facet to point out is the time span, not just how long he held the title, but the time span of when he was holding the title. Most of the time, a guy gets a title. He might have a comeback match where he gets the title back again, like a Ric Flair you know 17 Mm -hmm. times 20 million times however many world champions he's had more often than not a guy gets the belt for a while he loses the belt he moves on to some other storyline or maybe he disappears off the map altogether if he wasn't really that popular or drawing that much money right razor ramon he gets this title not once not twice but three times in the span of three years for significant runs 198 days 146 days and what we're about to talk about in his third run another 91 days that's three full months ladies and gentlemen this man held the belt for virtually a year in a three-year span that to me is super impressive usually if you get a guy who's gonna do a hulk hogan run of like six years with the world championship or some shit like that they hold it that whole time they don't lose it have a gap and then get it back and by a gap i mean like a significant like weeks or months before they get it back that's what razor ramon did he was that relevant and that well known for the intercontinental title and we're going to get into that third run of the intercontinental title with razor ramon right after this It's the very first ever nine-man three-way dance of death as the Sandman, Balls Mahoney, and Axel Rotten take on the three Dudley boys and New Jack, Cronus, and Spike. It's a lesson in extreme brutality available from ECW Home Video, Cyber Slam 98. As I said, it is time to start talking about the third, maybe the shortest run of the Intercontinental Strap on Razor Ramon. He has 91 days. Actually, George, you're, you're wrong. This is his fourth. Okay. That's not a good way to handle being on my <laughs> podcast. I'm just letting you know. George, you're wrong, and here's why. Yes. <laughs> and next week, we have a new Captain. <laughs> <laughs> The fake Captain Kiwi, like the fake news. 
<laughs> nice. I told you, we ain't talking about the fake diesel. We ain't talking about the fake razor. They did not exist. All right. All right. Why am I wrong? Well, it's actually his fourth run. Um, there was a uh, a short third run where he won it at a house show. Oh, oh I heard about this. I heard about this. Okay. Uh, I can't enough. remember. Who, do you remember who he actually beat on it? I, uh, I do not. They didn't even really acknowledge it because I don't even think he got TV time with it. So he won it and lost it. You know, that's a that's a good point to make to the listeners. Right. So there are people who have title runs that are only at house shows and are not acknowledged on TV. And those are traditionally still part of their championship runs and they're part of their legacy. But oftentimes the organization won't mention those runs at all. So it's a little weird to try and figure out because you're kind of just going off of what people talked about happened at a show. Because if you weren't there, you don't really know. In this case, they actually did recognize it and... You know, he okay, was saying, you know, this is my fourth, you know, yeah. Did he do anything that made us aware that he was a four-time champion when he got this run? When he was walking down the aisle, he had his four fingers up. He's like, four times. Uh, I wonder if that's not where he started the four life thing that he and Hogan and all them did in WCW with uh-huh. the NWO later on. wonder if that wasn't a predecessor to that symbol. I never thought about that. Look at you going deep, George. I know. Look at right? you. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into this third slash fourth run. Okay. Does anybody know how he, what the feud was or who it was with? Or It's another Shawn Michaels thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Shocker. I guess uh, Shawn had gone out the night before, I believe it was. And for the reports that I read, started making moves on uh, on some girl who was with a, uh, I think it was a Marine. And the Marine didn't take too kindly of it and beat the living hell out of him. <laughs> Wait, this is a real thing that happened or part of the storyline? Real thing. Oh, I got to okay, hear so this. Okay, so how does this affect the storyline? Well, uh, because he was uh, unable to compete because he was got his ass kicked. He was unable to fulfill contractual <laughs> obligations. <laughs> I told you. So he gets in a bar fight with a Marine and his girlfriend. Can't wrestle because we all know Shawn Michaels. He's a tough guy, but a Marine's going to whip his ass in real life. We he lost obviously. his smile. So, I mean, <laughs> was there uh, was Shawn Michaels feuding with Razor Ramon at this time, or was he feuding with somebody else? He was feuding with, well, he was supposed to defend the title against Dean Douglas. Dean, wait, wait, wait. Douglas from ECW Douglas? Yeah. Yeah. In ECW, wow. he went by Shane Douglas. Right. But in this one, he was Dean Douglas. I hated that gimmick. The damn little <laughs> yeah. graduation cap yeah, thing. Right, right. He was Dumb. awful because he was so inarticulate. He was one of the worst promo guys ever <laughs> who thought he was a good promo guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But because uh, he couldn't compete, he forfeited the title to okay. uh, to Dean Douglas. So Douglas becomes the title holder. Right. All right. Um, however, Grilla Monsoon, who was the interim uh, president of WWF at the time. Okay. All right. Said, hey, you know what? You didn't win. You didn't actually have a match to win the title. So you're going to defend it against Razor. That, you know, that tracks with Monsoon's character personality. He was all about the real business. Like, we're going to get in and settle this in the ring. That was Gorilla Monsoon's whole kind of characterization and stigma thing. Like, he... There was none of this, we're going to out-talk each other stuff. He just wanted to beat somebody's ass. I mean, hence the name Gorilla. Well, like us. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So is this at that in-your-house pay-per-view thing? (sighs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 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 That was impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's wrong with in-your-house? Was it not a good pay-per-view? In-your-house 4 was absolute 
garbage. Oh, wow. As far as a pay-per-view. Yeah, you don't so much watch in your house as you survive it. So, oh, Jesus. It was that bad. Man. Okay, so Monsoon tells Douglas, all right, you got to fight somebody. You're going to fight Razor Ramon. So they have a match, and I'm, I'm guessing Ramon wins because that's the whole point of the segment. Otherwise, we've screwed this whole podcast up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember this one. I'm trying to remember. I've I've seen so many damn Razor Ramon matches, it's hard to keep track of them all. Right. And anything with Dean Douglas, I'm deliberately trying to block out of my brain. So Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, the, the the match itself had some back and forth, but it was pretty much Razor all the way. I mean Okay. Almost like a squash match then? Not 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 quite. Okay. Dean Douglas did get a <laughs> couple licks in, but for the most part it was all Razor. So Razor pins him or puts him up in the crucifix slam or uh, ended up pinning him. The Razor's Edge, sir. The Razor's Edge, Crucifix Slam, <laughs> holding a sweaty guy on my back, whatever you want to call it. By the armpits. <laughs> By the armpits. Because that's the most aromic part of the Absolutely. procedure. Absolutely. Especially after you've been in the ring for about 20 minutes. So I do need to add that when the uh, three count was completed, I guess, Dean Douglas did have his right leg outside of the ring. Oh, that should have stopped the count, though, shouldn't it? If your foot is under or on the ropes, then you're not allowed to be pinned. You're like, you're supposedly out of bounds of the wrestling arena. And the official didn't see it, didn't count it. However, a few minutes before, Dean had pinned Razor and Razor put his foot on the rope and the official stopped the count. Oh, so he gets saved by the ropes, but Dean doesn't. And then therefore Razor Ramon, the bad guy, as Barry likes to say. The bad guy. Yeah, right. (laughs) He gets the win in the bad guy fashion, even though he's probably a little bit of a face to most of the people watching that thing, because nobody liked the Dean Douglas character, I don't think. Right. It's very Eddie Guerrero about, you know, right. <laughs> it's not going to work for you, but it's going to work for me. You, you know? got to wonder sometimes if Eddie Guerrero didn't pull some of his mannerisms a little bit from Razor Ramon style. I could see it, especially when he started doing the whole Latino heat thing. You know, yeah. that's yeah. when you really saw Eddie just getting amped up on that. So. So he has this run and I know that and I'm going to put my foot in my mouth here because I'm going to let Barry do an impression in a second. I know oh, that no. part of this third run, he has a feud with a wrestler that Barry really likes to announce. Are you referring to gold dust? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay. That's creepy. And anybody who's listening to this podcast in their headphones, like the in-ear things, just got goosebumps and chills and all kinds of weird stuff all over their body. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you, George. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) But Okay. So it's important to point out, though, Razor Ramon is this machismo having character, right? He's all about the ladies and he's got the toothpick and the slick back hair and the 70s gold jet, alpha male through and through. And he's putting a feud with the sexually ambiguous single, not duo (laughs) from Saturday Night Live, Gold Dust, who does all these weird, like, controversial of the time sexual antics in the ring that's got to be magic one important thing you got to remember though gold dust was dustin runnels meaning that's dusty Rhodes' son oh no okay. i totally get that i wasn't gonna gloss over that but but I, just those two the, characters oh yeah it's night and day oh yeah that's magic in the ring right i mean i see in my head razor moan getting creeped out when gold dust like does his little hip shake wiggle thing the weird biting of the air kind of thing oh, you know yeah. <laughs> just 
I mean, that was the beauty of that era for wrestling is you could do anything as a gimmick. And when Dustin started with the gold dust and the stutter where he got electrocuted and he, every now and then he was would start that during to, that. Yeah, that was during that time frame because that was the electrocution was the stutter mm-hmm. was during the this Tourette's, was it the Tourette's thing. Yeah, that was that's what brought that on. Wow. But that's I mean, that character is just one of the weirdest concepts that should not have worked. No way in the world that should have worked. But my God, was it over? Holy shit. I love the fact that those two had the feud for this third run. And oddly enough, though, I think this kind of comes to an end because of the fourth member of the clique, the one, two, three kid or X-Pac, mm-hmm. right? Sean Waltman. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Sean Waltman was kind of like the little brother that always followed you and your friends wherever you went and you had to bring him with you. That's the impression I always got of him with the click. I did too, right? He he kind of felt like, hey- you know, we're all sitting around. Let's send X-Pac over to the grocery store to buy some beer and bring it back for us. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of a partner for Razor Ramon at that point, right? He was, he was kind of a tag team partner. Yeah. And then he hit Razor with a kick from the top rope during this, uh, Royal Rumble match. Oh yeah. The 96 Rumble. I remember this. Right. I think that's what kind of what cost him the title to Goldust, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, he ended up rolling him up on it. He wasn't disqualified because at the time the referee was being distracted by Marlena. Oh, and Marlena, oh, which oh, is she, easy to do. She makes my happy parts go nuts. But anyway, <laughs> she was the Goldust valet. But she was also his, his wife. real life, right? right. His real yeah. life wife at the time. But I always kind of felt it odd that she was his valet. Like I mm-hmm. knew they were married in real life, but shouldn't he have had like a little gimp boy as his valet? <laughs> Really? As part of his character? Wow. At times he had the usher that would come out too. Oh yeah, I forgot about the oh, guy. Oh, the usher, right? Yeah, 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 because yeah. he was the Hollywood star with the wig and all. Yep. Mm-hmm. The picture dreams or gold dust dreams, whatever the, the montage Shattered opening dreams. was. Shattered, Shattered dreams. dreams. Yes. Yeah. Because that was his finisher. Remember, he'd hold him up in the corner of the turnbuckle and run up and kick him in the nuts. So. <laughs> <laughs> In D's nut. Oh my gosh. So that kind of ends the third slash fourth run for Razor Ramon with the Intercontinental title. I think for me, at least, we have definitely shown why this was such an important part in the Intercontinental title's history. Definitely. If you don't have Razor Ramon, I really don't know that the IC title doesn't go the way of the European title or the hardcore title or any of these others that have kind of had their time and gone. I think Razor Ramon, in my opinion, is why you have the Intercontinental title still around and as prominent as it is today. Yeah. Total time with the belt, ladies and gentlemen, over the three slash four runs, 435 days. That's crazy. Nice. Over a year with this title, over three different runs in a three or four year period. You don't see that ever. And to see that he did that and did what he did for that title. I'm saying the word did a lot, so I'm getting self-conscious, <laughs> but... He did so much for that title that we're still talking about it here, you know, 30 years later. It's incredible. Absolutely. I really love that we got to talk about this. We know, unfortunately, Scott Hall passed 
this year. And, you know, we hold up a wrestling ring bell and glass to Scott Hall, the fallen performer. He was an awesome performer. He enriched our lives at a time when, you know, maybe fathers and sons didn't have a lot to share other than something like a professional wrestling. Right. Absolutely. You know, he's a big part of that. And this Intercontinental title run of Razor Ramones was a large part of sharing this with my father. My father was an old time wrestling fan from the Harley race days Mm -hmm. and him watching some of this Razor Ramon stuff, which was my generation's wrestling more than his. It kind of was a nice little bonding moment, which we didn't have a lot of. And that's why I think this is such an important topic to talk about it. However, it's not the only topic that we're going to talk about in the upcoming weeks. Our next episode is going to be the big daddy of them all, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We are each going to pick our favorite WrestleMania match and discuss it in depth on our next episode. And I've already told Aaron he cannot choose anything with Doink the Clown. That is completely <laughs> <Come> out. <on. laughs> that is completely oh, out. Shit. <laughs> you know what? I quit. Oh, <laughs> well, great. There goes the podcast. It's down to two. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, thank you, Barry, so much for joining me today. Dude, this was so much fun. I forgot how much I loved watching these matches with him until we went back and did the research for this, and I could go back and watch them again right now. Captain Kiwi, thank you again, as always, for being here. Always a pleasure. It was great. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after ruin Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude, and Jake would be the breather. Our theme song is courtesy of Nerdcore. For hip-hop artist Beefy. Explore his work at beefiness.com. Turnbuckles and Territories is a production of Gen X Grown Up and a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.